Good afternoon. Welcome to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. What a game. What a game. 18 to 11 final. The Toronto Blue Jays scoring 18 more runs than the Indianapolis Colts scored points on Sunday. Us Jacksonville Jaguars fans don't get uh, many opportunities to make fun of any team, let alone division rivals, so we'll take it. 18-11. Rough, rough Ross Stripling game. Rough Julian Merriweather game to the extent that he's now been sent down to AAA. But the bats come through. Monster game. 18 to, it, was, it was a blast. It was a really fun game. Uh, Matt Chapman and Jackie Bradley Jr., both Homer. Alejandro Kirk, Teoscar Hernandez, Danny Jansen all have three plus hits uh, for Hernandez and Jansen. They each had two doubles. Uh, 11 different Blue Jays get hits in this one. Everyone plays except Whit Merrifield. And then to top it all off, well, first of all, it should be noted that sandwiched between the rough stripling outing and the rough Merriweather outing, Zach Pop came through pretty big on his birthday with two good innings. And then we close it out with a very fun Stubbs versus Jansen plate appearance where Stubbs is mixing the EFIS with an 84 mile an hour fastball. Absolutely confuses Danny Jansen. Uh, not fair to throw two pitches that differently. Where your Jays are right now, by the way, after that 18 to 11 win. Crunch some numbers for you this afternoon. They could clinch a playoff spot as early as Saturday. That is very unlikely, but that's what we're looking at here. They're that close. They are still five and a half games behind the Yankees because the Yankees had Aaron Judge hit his 60th home run and then Giancarlo Stanton hit a walk-off grand slam last night to come back against the irredeemably bad Pirates. O'Neill Cruz is uh, getting better, though. Getting better. Chasing a lot less. Might be a guy on top of just the StatCast stuff. Anyway, five and a half back of the Yankees. 14 games left for the Jays. 15 left for the Yankees. So running out of time here, even with three left against them Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. More notably, Jays in the top wildcard spot. Two games ahead of Tampa. Two and a half ahead of Seattle. And the big one. Seven and a half games clear of Baltimore and anyone else. Fangraphs now has their playoff odds up to 99.9%. Baseball prospectus goes a step further and rounds that extra decimal right up to 100. Pretty likely the Jays are going to make the playoffs. By the way, the Jays just released postseason ticket information I've gotten a number of questions uh, about that in recent days and recent weeks. That's out there now. So you can take a look uh, at that, how to get your hands on some Jays postseason tickets. I got to do that at a break as well. Bit of a weird one here as there's apparently some drama in Tampa Bay. Uh, we'll, we'll put a pin in that and, and revisit it tomorrow. As we tee up that series, we've got one more Jays-Phillies game to talk about today. That one's at 645, by the way. It'll be Kevin Gosman against Zach Wheeler. A couple minor notes for you. The Jays have sent Julian Merriweather down to AAA. We're called Foster Griffin. He was acquired for John Berthel from the Royals in a 
next to nothing trade a little earlier in the year. Okay. You got a fresh arm up. That answers the Julia Merriweather versus Zach Pop question for who gets option down when Mitch White needs to come off, uh, come back onto the 26-man roster for a spot start sometime this week. Also, elsewhere, Dunedin Blue Jays lost in the championship last night. Uh, So the Jays' single-A and high-A teams both lost in the championship this year. Their double-A team did not make the playoffs, and their triple-A team is headed toward not making the playoffs as well. I don't think that that would surprise you, given what the Blue Jays' farm system and uh, depth has looked like this year. Uh, Josef Zulueta and Addison Barger, though, both made their AAA debuts yesterday and looked okay. Uh, join now to go through some of this stuff, get a couple other updates on the Jays. Arden Zwelling of Sportsnet, of At The Letters. How are you, man? Hey, what's going on, Blake? What's going on? I know you weren't in Philadelphia, but how many times did you think that game was over last night? I mean, it was pretty much over the entire time, wasn't it? I mean, that that was one of the wackier ones you're going to see for sure. So within that 18 to 11 win, obviously a lot of offense going on, but let's start on the, the more pessimistic side of things is you gave up 11 runs. Ross Stripling had a rough one coming off of six consecutive starts of giving you six plus innings. You looking at this one as kind of a blip or a kind of regression to the mean? What did you make of Stripling's outing there um, and what it means moving forward? Uh, blip, I would say. I guess regression a little bit. I guess it could be both. I don't know that it's necessarily binary. Um, he, he didn't have uh, a ton of success in the zone. Um, still got his whiffs with his changeup, right? I think that pitch was still effective for him. And I mean, the stuff looked okay. Looked like Ross Stripling stuff. Thought the velo was there. I thought the, the command was all right. Um, and he, he was certainly filling up the zone as he does. I think that the Phillies just put some good swings on him. Maybe batted him a little bit. Uh, you know, we're fortunate on, on balls in play. I don't know that there were too many like screamers that came uh, that came off of him. Um, and yeah, I, I don't think there's anything the Blue Jays would be concerned about going forward. I think Ross Stripling's spot in the rotation on this club is is pretty solidified. Uh, you know, if, if that's going to be the, the Ross Stripling bad outing this year, I think the Blue Jays will take everything else that they got from him. Yeah, I, I certainly would as well. Um, the one question I guess I would have is, you know, some of the final damage there done as he was facing the top of that order a third time. This is something you and I have talked about kind of all year. Will he, you know, eventually outperform the only twice through the order thing? He has faced batters a third time through fifty for 54 plate appearances this year. He's still striking batters out at the same rate. He actually hasn't walked a single one of those 54 batters, but he's been just a little bit mistake prone in terms of home runs and extra base hits. Would you imagine that as good as Stripling's been, we're probably only seeing him face 18 batters in a, in a big playoff spot? Yeah, I mean, I think you've seen him get deeper into the third trip through lately. Um, first of all, because he's earned it. Like, let's just say that, like, meritocratically. I mean, he has pitched well and he deserves that opportunity. But perhaps even more importantly, just to get some more length and cover some more innings to the Blue Jays um, over the last few weeks as essentially their bullpen has been their fifth starter so that they aren't asking too much of their relievers and then taxing that group too much. I think that's why you've seen Ross Stripling go deeper into outings and you look at it in the postseason. I mean, even really, really good starters don't get to go too far into a third trip 
through the order, that's really when managers start making that lift a guy too early rather than too late decision. Um, and even if you look at like the three game wild card series the Blue Jays are gonna play, say that you line up Alec Manoa and Kevin Gosman for games one and two. Well, even if Ross Stripling starts game three, game three is a bullpen day, mm-hmm. regardless uh, of who starts and of who's stretched out and of how things look. I mean, that's a bullpen day. That's a win at all cost day anyway. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think that you're, you're not going to see Ross Stripling going too deep into a third trip in a, a game of consequence here. So Ross Stripling, mostly great stuff this year. Really nice story at age 32. Uh, you look at another guy who struggled last night, And I think maybe we're getting to the point where a few days out from his 31st birthday here, are we done with the Julian Merriweather thing? Like this is, this is not a prospect anymore. This is a guy who as good as the minor league stuff has looked as good as the quality of the stuff can look at times is sitting on a 564 career, career ERA 675 this year, Uh, Julian Merriweather back down to AAA. Do you think we're doing this whole thing with him again next year? I mean that's a that's a guy who it's yeah it's tough right because his fastball's just gone hammered this year and the problem with his fastball is that it doesn't cut it doesn't sink it doesn't run it's just flat and when that catches too much of the plate even if it's ninety seven ninety eight uh, big league hitters are pretty adept at turning around that type of velocity in twenty twenty two it's it's just not two thousand and two anymore where that would have been exceptional I mean that's somewhat ordinary from a right handed big league reliever these days so um i don't know next year we'll see we'll see what the blue jays think long term with julian merriweather i'm more thinking playoff roster with him and Mm -hmm. whether he's on it or not because i think that going into last night's outing i probably would have thought yeah there's probably room for julian merriweather on a playoff roster and then you look at last night's outing and you think well Maybe there's someone else who would make more sense on a, a 26-man uh, wildcard series roster construction. So we'll see. He's going to have to be an option for essentially the rest of the season at this point. So his return, unless it was for injury, would have to be for the playoffs. And, and that'll really be the next decision the Blue Jays have to make with him. And only a couple of days here left in the AAA season. So I don't think he's going to have any window to show, you know, hey, uh, I'm ready or I'm different here or anything like that. The, the same would go for, you know, a Nate Pearson who got pulled from an outing the other day um, for a Josfer Zulueta who just made his AAA debut last night. Um, Foster Griffin is the guy coming back up for Julian Merriweather. Is this... I guess the only thing that struck me about Foster Griffin coming up, other than I had kind of forgotten he was on the 40 man for a bit there is that Matt Gage isn't getting another look Matt Gage with triple a numbers that are mostly just as good. And he had a strong stretch with the blue Jays earlier in the year. Uh, You a little surprised at that decision at all. I wish I could explain it to you because I thought Matt Gage earned everything that he's gotten this year the Blue Jays liked him coming into the year he was a model guy that they they identified in the offseason they pursued aggressively in the offseason I mean he worked hard through spring training went down to triple a pitched well earned his call up pitched in some really big spots ways up at the Blue Jays like he wasn't just you know seeing the uh the Julian Merriweather appearance at the end of you know an NFL game that was last (laughs) night right like he was he was pitching like with the game on the line. He was pitching in extra innings. Um, like he was going multiple innings. He was being stretched out. Like he was facing really consequential moments. And I thought that he showed really well in them. 
and they got caught up in a roster crunch throughout the summer and never returned. So it's it's a head scratcher to me, really, because I thought there was something there with Matt Gage, but I, you know, I promise the Blue Jays are making this decision for a reason, and, and they have their reasons to do it. Ultimately, we're talking about like the eighth or ninth guy in the bullpen. So you know, I would think that like someone like a Zach Pop is ahead of kind of the Merriweather Gage Griffin tier. Um, so I don't know that somebody would really be factoring into a playoff roster, but. Maybe down the stretch, as you know, the the Blue Jays look to prioritize rest and recovery, and just having everybody available for the wild card series as they get down to that Red Sox series, that Orioles series at the end. Maybe we do see some of these old names cropping back up and turning back up on the big league roster just to to log some innings and to uh, allow the Blue Jays coaching staff to stay away from a Garcia, a Bass, a Mesa, a Romano over the final days of the season and have them as rest as possible for the wild card series. Yeah, and you've mentioned the the wild card roster a couple times. So twenty six guys. We'll see thirteen pitchers on it. Um, six relievers are a lock: Romano, Garcia, Bass, Meza, Phelps, Simber. If any of those guys aren't on the roster, it's because of uh, an injury down the stretch here. I'd also guess that whoever they choose to start between Gosman and Barrios, if they have their their choice, you'd still have the other guy on the playoff roster on the wild card roster, just in case someone has a short outing. Um, so that would leave three spots for Mitch white, you Kikuchi, Zach pop, Trevor Richards, and then that mess of Merriweather, Griffin gauge, whoever um, only three of white Kikuchi pop Richards and everyone else. I know that this team has continued to use Richards as if he's a guy they trust in there and should maybe be the seventh lock. Um, I guess the, the logical odd man out of the white Kikuchi pop Richards group is probably Kikuchi, right? Yeah, I would say so. So much of that will come down to who the blue Jays are facing and mm-hmm. what type of like pitcher they feel profiles best against that opposition. Um, but you know they are going to want that one length reliever in the bullpen. And it's for that situation where you're up by eight or you're down by eight and you don't want to burn leverage guys in that situation. And that's when you're throwing out a Mitch White or you say Kikuchi just to cover those innings. If it's in the first or second game of the series, so you save the leverage guy for later on. Look, if it's the third game. It's a must win. You're obviously going to your leverage guys there. But that would be for earlier on in that series when you just you don't want to go to uh, Garcia, Bass, or Romano with uh, an eight-run lead. So I, it's interesting, man. Like, I, are we sure they'll take 13 pitchers? Do they take 12 and take 14 position players? Do they keep all their outfielders, right? Like, let's say Lourdes Goriel Jr. is healthy. Are you taking Teoscar Hernandez, Goriel Springer, obviously? And then are you taking each of Tapia Zimmer and Jackie Bradley Jr.? Are you taking a third catcher? Um, are you taking Whitten Harrisfield? A lot of it will depend on who they're playing and obviously injuries and form and health and all that stuff. But I think there's a few different ways this construction could go. It's why it's front of mind for me because it's it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, it's also front of mind, I think, because, you know, as much as the division race is still mathematically possible, especially with three left against the Yankees, five and a half games to make up in 15 games is tough. And you're not, you're almost certainly not going to lose the seven games it would require you to fall out of the playoffs. So we are kind of in a mode here where like the biggest thing to focus on these next couple of weeks is what does the wild card look like? So I, I don't think it's, um, you know, unusual that this is where both of our minds are going. By the way, you mentioned the opponents, um, Tampa, uh, Tampa Bay, only three straight lefties 
on their position player roster, five for Seattle and Cleveland. Um, Cleveland, especially notable, they are the third worst offense in baseball against left-handed pitching. So maybe they're the team that Kikuchi sneaks on against, whereas Tampa Bay has been, you know, a little better than average against lefties, uh, and Seattle hits them okay, nothing nothing special um, there. So maybe that's something to consider. You mentioned the the other side of it, and, and this was where I was actually going to go with this line of questioning is, um, you know, if you were to use that 14th spot on a position player or if you have to leave one of these guys who's on the roster right now out, I think we've seen based on their substitution pattern and how they've used Jansen and Kirk that, They'd want Gabrielle Moreno there just in case. Whit Merrifield is 13th on the Blue Jays in plate appearances over the last 30 days. The only guy with fewer than him, the only guys rather, are Moreno and Zimmer. And we know that the Jays like Zimmer in that Zimmer role. How awkward would this be if Whit Merrifield doesn't make the playoff roster after acquiring him for two AAA guys and with money owed to him next year? I think that's who it would have to be if you were bringing Moreno on a postseason roster. And I, I don't know that that's a guarantee. I mean, the other interesting question is, so let's say Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is healthy at that point and able to play. Well, now you're carrying Tapia Zimmer and Jackie Bradley Jr. on your bench, three outfielders. Okay, like Zimmer, obviously, maybe he steals you a base late in the game. He's clearly your center field replacement. Jackie Bradley Jr., maybe there's a spot for him to hit left-handed off the bench. I kind of doubt it even. At least he brings that defensive versatility late in the game. We like that, or we know the Blue Jays like that defense with Zimmer and in center and Jackie Bradley Jr. and right late in games. What's Ryan Altapia's role at that point? Because he's no one's defensive replacement, and if you've got Hernandez, Goriel, and Springer in your starting lineup, Who's Rymel Tapia pinch hitting for of those three? None of them. So is he pinch hitting for like a Santiago Espinal? Well, that's kind of how Captain Biggio has typically been used late in games. Would he be pinch hitting for Danny Jansen? Well, Danny Jansen's raking yeah. right now. So I don't think that's going to happen. What's Rymel Tapia's role on a postseason roster at that <laughs> point? This is a guy who, by the way, over the last couple of weeks is like fifth on the team in plate appearances, <laughs> but his playing time could go off a cliff if Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is healthy and you've got a postseason roster with Zimmer and Jackie Bradley Jr. both on it, right? So that's where it's, I, I think they're, you know, it, I think there's going to be a very interesting omission on the position player side, whether it's a Whitner field, whether it's a Tapia, whether it's a Gabriel Moreno, um, and the Blue Jays being in a situation where game one of the postseason, they've got, say, Kirk catching Manoa and Danny Jansen as their DH and no catcher on the bench and exposing themselves to that layer of risk um it's a good problem to have too many good players or too many interesting configurations that you can use but i do think there is going to be some intrigue with just which position players are on that roster and, and how john schneider's filling out his, his lineup card and not just the exposure of oh you only have no or you have no catcher on the bench but kirk and jansen are two of your most obvious pinch run candidates as well so uh you lose the ability to do that and, and tapia 
you know, he had he had a nice little stretch there earlier in the summer, but you look at some of the splits, he's still a below average hitter even against right-handed pitching. He's the only guy in the top 11 on the team in plate appearances that's been below average at the plate overall this year. Uh, it's tough because I do like Tapia. I enjoy watching him. He's a... Uh, He's an interesting guy to have around, but yeah, it does feel like, uh, you know, it's a bit of a question mark there. Um, Before we get to the wild card, the Jays have a couple spots to fill in terms of the rotation. Now, if they were to just stay on turn all the way through, you use any off days to just skip the fifth starter and keep everyone on five days. I'm not suggesting they do that because they might get extra rest here and there. Um, But if that were the case, they'd only need a fifth starter twice the rest of the way and it looks like that's going to be mitch white he's in philly with the team he could be activated tomorrow um i'd imagine that's a saturday start for mitch white just because that keeps everyone on the on the current pattern and everything like that do you imagine that's what the jays are headed for here of they'll basically run that four-man rotation with mitch white slash bullpen whenever they have to play a fifth day in a row yeah, I think you're going to start the Rays series, Barrios, Manoa, then Mitch White on the Saturday, and then you just flip it over to your Stripling, Gosman, Barrios, Manoa, which takes you through to the off day. And then at that point, you kind of recalibrate, and yeah. you see where you're at. You have the off day. You can leverage that. You can go a few different ways out of it. Say you swept the Yankees in that series, and the division is literally in play, realistically in play, maybe you pivot and have to push at that point and you say hey maybe we could take the division here you see where you're at in the wild card race and whether you're well up on the race for the the first wild card spot or maybe you're tied with them i mean you know whatever comes out of this four game series at the trop wherever you're at at that point you can make a decision on how much you push or how much you pull back i mean right now looking at it it's the most realistic scenario i would say well over 90 percent odds probably well over 95 percent is the blue jays are playing a wild card series somewhere could be at home, could be on the road, who knows. But you know you have three really important games on that first weekend of October. So I am doing everything that I can to make sure that Kevin Gosman and Alec Manoa are in the best possible position to succeed in the first two games of that series. And there is possibly a construction where one of those two guys pitches game three. The last time the Blue Jays had a three-game wildcard series, what did they do? Hunjin Ryu in game one. They saved Taiwan Walker for game three. And they went Matt Shoemaker and uh, Robbie Ray tandem start game two. It's a pretty interesting construction. I wouldn't be surprised if they went that way again. But right now I'm operating under the assumption that it'll be Manoa and Gosman in those first two games. So I'm figuring out how I get them the optimal amount of rest into the best possible position to be their strongest and most capable and effective in those two games. So those that's what I'm basing my decision-making around coming out of the off day, and that's going to be influenced by the standings, whether the division's realistic, where I'm at in the wild card standings. The way it's lining up, I think it's it's unrealistic, or it's, it's unlikely right now that we see Gosman or Manoa in either of the final two games of the regular season, just to, to give them the, the right amount of rest to be ready for the wild card series. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. And, you know, the the bright spot about even if you don't catch the Yankees about playing so well right now is maybe with a game or two left, you know already you're getting home field in that first game, in that first round and you don't have to play for it as tough. Um, just a note, if they stayed on five days rest, as I had kind of outlined there, so they don't juggle anything, they don't give anyone an extra day off, it's just skip on the fifth day and keep everyone going 
going, you would line up with Gosman, Manoa, Barrios for the wild card. And then factoring in off days and stuff like that, you would have Stripling, Gosman, Manoa, Barrios, Stripling in the ALDS. So um, not a not a bad way to line up there. Obviously, you could have a preference of Stripling, Barrios being flipped, but Gosman and Manoa are the big ones there. Uh, Arden Zwelling, thanks so much for taking the time out, man. I really appreciate it. Cheers, Blake. Take it easy. Arden Zwelling of Sportsnet, of At The Letters, talking about the Blue Jays likely landing in a wildcard series. If they get through that, an ALDS. If they catch the Yankees, an ALDS. Fangraphs would say there's a 99.9% chance the Jays make the playoffs. Baseball prospectus rounds that up to 100. I mentioned that just because we found out right before we came on air, wildcard and ALDS tickets go on sale Tuesday at 10 a.m., We'll know a little bit more by then what the chances look like of the Jays winning the division, which would mean hosting a game one and two of the ALDS. We'll know a little bit more about what it could look like with the Jays hosting a wild card, which would be games one, two, and three on the Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Or it could be a big mess and you're just purchasing tickets for hypothetical scenarios that are coin flips. Either way, Tuesday, 10 a.m., tickets on sale for wild card and ALDS games it's a fun time of year where uh, we're getting to anytime you can start looking at, well, if you start this guy here and start that guy here, how does your playoff rotation line up? Uh, you know, you're in the thick of it. You know, you're getting close. Arden almost sapped all of my enthusiasm for the sport of baseball, though, mentioning Matt Schumacher there uh, last time the Jays were in a best of three series. There are no Matt's Shoemaker this time around. You hope. Let's take a break. When we come back, talk to our pal, Drew Fairservice of the Spin Rate Podcast. I'm sure he has some thoughts on Aaron Judge, but the big thing anytime you have Drew Fairservice on is the former execs who are now in the media, that type of person, a lot of helicoptering around the idea of an offseason Shohei Otani trade. Uh, we'll talk to Drew about that, but we'll also talk about um, what things look like for Julian Merriweather, for Ross Stripling, and just how good this Jays offense is right now. Top five to top 10 in just about every category. Drew Fairservice next on Jays Talk Plus on Sports at 590, the fan. Starting Monday, be sure to tune into the J.D. Bunkus podcast weekday mornings at nine on Sportsnet 590 The Fan or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Welcome back to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Your Toronto Blue Jays back in action tonight, 645 against the Phillies. Ben Wagner on the call for you on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Can't promise it'll be as fun and chaotic as the 18 to 11 game last night, which, by the way, ended right in time for you to see Aaron Judge's 60th home run and that unfortunate Yankees comeback. Uh, Joining us now to talk about all things Jays and all things Pittsburgh Pirates loathing, Drew Fairservice of the Spin Ray Podcast. Drew, how are you, buddy? Uh, I, I'm hoping we can talk about Carly Ray as well, but we can maybe save that for the end. No, we can do it right now. I, I played you in with that very intentionally. I know you did, and I appreciate it. That's the best one yet by far. Well, I, I aim to please, Drew. Um, not aiming to please the Pittsburgh Pirates. Absolute disaster of a franchise in year seven of a rebuild. They're going to lose 100 games again. They only have an average farm system. And 
they let the Yankees make that comeback last night. It was looking like a perfect night for the Jays with a win and Tampa, Seattle, and Baltimore all losing and the Yankees on their way to a loss. Um, at what point do we contract the Pirates, take O'Neill Cruz for the Blue Jays, and then disperse the rest of them around the National League? I don't want to um, contract them. The, the good people of Pittsburgh have been through too much. But we need to uh, boot the owner and, and start and insult the earth other than the ballpark and just start again. I mean, the, the Pirates are, are really, really, really bad. And it's, it's a shame and you, you, because it, it, there's so many teams like, like that that are, that are trying to rebuild, but they, they've got nothing to show for it. And how many times can you draft first and then screw it up? I mean, the game, it's interesting. It's so good that that game came against the Yankees last night that so many of us get to, like, see it up close. And again, remember, the Blue Jays went into Pittsburgh and swept them, right, and, and did it, including a bullpen game. Uh, but, like, Clay Holmes is, is such a good example of, like, if the, if the Pirates couldn't figure out that this guy that throws, like, a 99-mile-an-hour sinker might be something worth having, and they gave him away, and then the Yankees turned him into like this incredible high leverage reliever who was unhittable for three months at, at the beginning of the season. And to me, that's just such a like a microcosm of the problem that they just don't know what they're doing. It seems like they just seem to make if they have an opportunity to make a decision, they're going to make the wrong one. They're going to make the cheap one, and and there are there are just two. The Pirates are among the worst offenders, but like there's just. It sucks that they're so bad that that they have to that, the, that they're competing in the same league. That there's no punishment for being that bad. And and I, I, I'm not necessarily one to advocate for promotion and relegation in baseball, but it would be nice if there was some kind of impetus to be competitive and to like get your house in order and 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 invest in the team in some discernible way. Yeah, that would uh, that would be great. Um, at least you know Clay Holmes, the uh, sleeper agent, activated of late, and you know the ERA of like six since the All Star break. At least that's coming home to roost. Um, Aaron Judge did hit number sixty last night. One hundred and fifty one games is kind of the cutoff that all the I don't know, for lack of a better term, grumpy people in the world always claim cling on. Because, you know, Babe Ruth only needed 151 games, Maris, etc. Uh, Judge is at 60 in just 143 games. Drew, we need him to only hit one home run over the next five games, though, so we can witness number 62 in Toronto. Not to put you in the Ben Clemens role here, but what are where are you putting the odds that Aaron Judge isn't at 62 when he comes to Toronto on Monday? Well, aren't they playing the Pirates today? That seems like as li- it's as likely now as anything ever could be. Uh, you know, Aaron Judge is having an incredible, incredible year, and, and and just about every time he 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 laces them up, you feel like there's a chance that he could go deep at least once. And I think uh, uh, Craig Gold Craig Goldstein of uh, Baseball Perspective got into a little bit of trouble, sort of, for saying something like he's he's seeing he's just getting terrible like middle middle cookies. But the problem, the thing that, that Aaron Judge is doing is destroying them. Yeah. He doesn't miss any of them. Now, there was somebody who pointed out that he's seen more strikes in September than he has in almost any other month so far this season. It's just crazy to me that people aren't pitching around him. Maybe the, the outlook is changing. People are like, whatever, I hope I give up number 62 or 70. Well, there's also a lot of teams playing some pretty bad pitchers at this point in the year, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think that... that the, the lack of, of roster bloat like we used to see when just 
it would be one reliever after another and games were interminable in, in September is, is better for the game. But at the same time, there's a lot of guys at the end of a long season and, and playing, you know, playing for their next job or however you want to look at it, but maybe they're not quite up to snuff. So you end up with bad, bad, tired pitchers making bad pitches to a very, very, very good hitter who has a track record of punishing mistakes. And now he's in the midst of as good a season as, as anyone's put together, you know, since Barry Bonds and which is the other thing that we don't necessarily have to get into, but like the whole like Barry Bonds erasure thing that's going on right now is very strange. I mean, it's not that strange, but it, suddenly everything's like, oh, putting it in terms of other Yankees or in terms of American League only. Like, oh, this is one of the greatest offensive seasons ever. Does Barry Bonds not exist in your world? Did he not slug like 800 15 years ago or 17 years ago? Uh, let's not erase Barry Bonds, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, we don't certainly don't need to erase Barry Bonds. The the nice way to tiptoe around it is just to refer to Aaron Judge as, as the, the Yankees record or even the American League record because... Yeah, no one's touching Bonds. And as much as people don't like Bonds or or want to, you know, remove that era from baseball, it happened. And he never got suspended by Major League Baseball. He only got caught outside during the the Balco investigation and stuff. So, um, yeah. Also, he had a 244 WRC plus one season. His slugging percentage in 2001 was higher than any Blue Jays OPS right now. Like, we can't erase that no matter how much uh, you might want to erase it. Aaron Judge, though, coming in at number 16 in terms of WRC+, Plus, so controlling for era and things like that. Still a top 20 season all time. Obviously top 10 in home runs. Um, Drew, when you look at the Yankees overall, Giancarlo Stanton coming through in a big moment last night. He's a... had a bit of a down year, but still very clearly, uh, I can always walk into one. I hit the ball harder than anyone not named Aaron Judge or Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in baseball, even if I try to mimic Vlad's uh, launch angle a little too often. Um, but you see things like Frankie Montes going to the IL and Clay Holmes coming back down to earth. Where are you on the Yankees in general as we head into the, the final two weeks of the season here? This is a great and dangerous question. I mean, if you look at the, in the second half, the Blue Jays have been, I think, eight or nine games better than the Yankees since the All-Star break. Uh, the Yankees had that really bad run in July um, that kind of carried over. They 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 were or are close to a below 500 team in the second half. But it doesn't take much, right? Like Anthony Rizzo is, is a good player. Gleyber Torres is a good player. DJ LeMay is a good player. Josh Donaldson used to be a good player. Like, they have a lot of talent. They're banged up. They're a little old. They are, uh, you know, obviously reliant on Judge. But the thing with the Yankees and and the thing with the Yankees' health is, and this kind of leads into any MVP debate that might be had, is that Aaron Judge was going so bananas, like in the month of July or however long it was. He had like a 1,300 OPS, and the Yankees were 10 and 20. <laughs> because he can't do it all himself. It's, the Yankees are as good as Nestor Cortez. The Yankees are as good as Jameson Tyone is at keeping the ball in the ballpark. The Yankees, who, again, if you, if you are engage with any Yankees fans, the, the old adage of, like, you watch Yankees fans interact on, like, Twitter, for example, and you'll be convinced that they're losing 7-1. to one, And then you look at the score, and they're winning 3 nothing. But they are – it doesn't matter how – unless Garrett Cole throws a no-hitter every time out, it's like he is the worst pitcher in the world. But then you look up, and he's gone six. He threw 101 miles an hour to strike out the last guy of the game. 
the Yankees are as good as their pitching, right? Because they're going to score with Judge, with you know any combination of some of those guys they've got kicking around. Yeah, they've got Ben Intendi, who's not you know not been great. Aaron Hicks is, is in a bad way right now, but there's enough talent for them to score more than their share of runs. When Nestor Cortez is healthy and pitching well, they're really good. When Jamison Tyone is keeping the ball in the ballpark, you know that's a good chance for them to win that night. They can afford to have Clay Holmes come back to earth because they just still have so much talent in the bullpen. Guys that haven't necessarily come in and, and blown the world away, but they've just got a lot of depth because they're the Yankees. They have a $190 million payroll, right? They, you have built in depth and you can, you can acquire Frankie Montas and have him go on the DL and still be okay because you have that high of a floor when you've made such an extreme investment in your on-field product. And now the Blue Jays, have the, you know, nobody has depth to, to withstand three, four injuries to their starting pitching, which is, I think, what we saw with the Yankees. But as these guys come back, as Cole battles and is still you know, pitching like, a, like the $30 million version or $34 million version of, of Jose Barrios, you know, they still give them a chance to win, and their offense is going to give them a chance to win every day. You know, you'd be foolish to, to long to face the Yankees in the playoffs. You can, if, you can get, if you can work around Judge, if you can get him out, you probably feel pretty good about your chances. But they're, they're still a dangerous team. And as they get a little bit healthier, as guys sort of like come together and, and go out there with, with sticks and gum and, 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 and tape and, and gut it out at the end of the month, you know, that they're a dangerous team to play no matter the situation, I guess. Yeah, I would agree with that. And you, but you talk about the offense and, and sorry, I don't mean to say, but as in like, I'm going to say the Yankees offense isn't good. Uh, I just want to turn the page to the Blue Jays offense here. They rank high in just about everything. Very, very high in just about everything. One of the things that stands out to me and I wanted your take on is if you look at OPS on base percentage plus slugging percentage for the seven, eight, nine spots in an order, it is not even remotely close. The Jays get more production from the bottom third of their order than any other team in baseball. Now, Vlad's not having quite the season he had last year. If you were to sort the league by OPS or, or pick your offensive stat, there aren't a lot of Jays in that top 10, 15, even 20, but they're very, very deep. 10 of their top 11 by plate appearances are league average at the plate or better this year. And again, the best production from the bottom third of the order heading into the playoffs. Does that depth of lineup, I, I guess I'm asking, what would you prefer? Would you prefer the Yankees kind of, and I'm not saying the Yankees or the Jays, but types, the Yankees where there are two or three guys who are just absolute world beaters and you're terrified of every plate appearance, but there are some holes or a team like the Jays that is deep. And if you're looking ahead to the, okay, well, the Tampa Bay Rays are going to try to raise brain, how they use their bullpen and things like that. There are no soft spots. Um, what do you, which style gives you more confidence over a playoff grind? Absolutely. The Blue Jays, the Blue Jays offense is, is scary because they're, I think number two, three in all of baseball and like OPS plus, right? Which is OPS, but corrected for, for league and, and ballpark, which, and they're ahead of the Yankees, even though they score fewer runs per game than the Yankees. Number one, the Yankees, I think have been, have been good about building an offense that's built for their ballpark. So DJ LeMay, was able to optimize his very like inside out swing. Anthony Rizzo was able to like hook a million balls into those seats, but the blue Jays offense has been so good. But if you ask people, especially people who don't know what OPS plus means, you know, 
they would say the Blue Jays are a disappointment, and they have one of the best offenses in all of baseball, like the number three offense in baseball, effectively. And that's because the Blue Jays haven't had the explosion. We saw it last night, I think, in a lot of ways, where the Blue Jays, I feel like, I've got to be up there in the league leaders for RBI ground outs, which is, a, which is kind of like a backhanded compliment. And they had a bunch of them last night where they – but that means that they're getting guys into onto third base with less than two out there putting a lot of runners on and when and they so they do that and they do that consistently and they do that constantly so what happens is when you do get like a, the timely extra base hit like we saw with Ramal Tapia or even Jackie Bradley Jr. that's when your game that it goes from they scored seven runs in a game to they scored 15 right the Blue Jays are like this still even with one of the best offenses in baseball the sleeping giant because it's so deep and John Schneider and uh, and before him Charlie Montoyo I think deserve credit for putting a lot of hitters in positions to succeed, right? They're, they're, they get so much production from the seven, six, seven, eight, nine um, spots because you've had a variety of guys in there. You've got Kevin Biggio, who's having, who's, who's being used deliberately, who's also on his own hitting the ball harder as like increases exit velocity, increases his, his, uh, you know, his expected weight on base, all that sort of stuff by hitting the ball harder, which was a big concern for, for Kevin Biggio. You've got Espinal, who is, you know, made the All Star team not something of a miracle, but isn't asked to be an All Star carrying the, carrying the, the the weight. He's playing. He's in there when he meet, when he can be in there. He's in there and he's, he's contributing, doing the things that he does. Right, he's hitting the ball up the middle, doing line drives, getting a couple extra base hits here and there. You know, Tapia has come up with a, a bizarre amount of big hits, and and especially the joke with him coming up in the bases loaded. Um, you know, with Merrifield, who had I know a big hit. He got probably two in the Blue Jay. And one of them was a huge, you know, double down the line. <laughs> Danny Jansen, who is, 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 has been very feast or famine, hitting off the home runs, but also, you know, been really, really hot recently. So you, and then you get outside of the, the, the big guys at the top of the order. But like, where does the big guy stop? At this point, it's Chester Hand. is one of the big guys. You, you should consider him that. He's, you know, one of the best hitter, outfielders in baseball offensively in the last like three years. He's having a bit of a down season because the offense is down, but he had four hits the other night. He's talking about it was all banged up, but his numbers are still great, right? And he's not even like the guy in the necessarily in the core of the order, which you've got Bo Bichette who was struggling along a league average and then went bananas. And now his league numbers are good. And then the Vlad thing, it's like, you're just waiting because if the, if you get Vlad, if, if all suddenly all the, all the stars align or, or Vlad's, you know, his approach and, and the physical pieces and his, you know, his mentality all sort of like click at the right time. But now you've got this monster in the middle of the lineup that's surrounded by guys that can't even help but get on base. They don't walk, but they can all hit. So I, I would love, you know, the Blue Jays are a team you don't want to play. And like you said, the, you can't, how are you going to play matchups? They all hit right-handed. Cool. Who, who, which of these guys are you going to exploit? The answer is none. There's too much offensive talent. They've, they've done a great job. They've adapted. They hit the ball to all fields. They get on base. They run with abandon. They're not going to steal bases, but you know they're just a really, really, really good offensive team. And you can also feel like there's just so much more, just right there lurking under the surface. Because if they go, if they happen to go home run crazy for the next three weeks, or if they go home run crazy starting at the end of September, they're going to win the World Series, right? Like they, they just that's how good the offense is. That they've been the best offense, and you can also still say there's so much more right there. There is. And, you know, that's Vlad is a big, big part of that. And it's, you know, it's folly to be like, well, if everyone gets hot at the same time, but if everyone has a good floor, 
then even one or two guys upping the ceiling at a time can be really impactful. Um, I'm curious, Drew, we went through a lot of names there, but one, I'm I'm curious as to your confidence level in or your belief level, I guess. Danny Jansen leads this team in slugging percentage. He's still only at 207 plate appearances for the year because of the IL stints. But if we look at the last two seasons combined, that's a 412 plate appearance sample. We're talking about 130 games. So basically a full season where he is an above average to well above average hitting regular. Do you think Danny Jansen has played his way into like, has he played well enough offensively that not only are you doing Jansen catches and Kirk's to the DH fairly often in the playoffs, but if Manoa wants to throw to Kirk, Jansen gets the DH nod? That's a great question. I feel like at the risk of, of disagreeing, because that's something that you and I are just simply not built to do, <laughs> uh, I, I think there's too much risk in that in the playoff game mm-hmm. of, of having both of your catchers sort of spoken for. Or well, what if Gabriel Moreno is taking up one of the playoff roster spots? So that you know, again, that's that's part of that calculus. Like, mm-hmm. is it worth having a third catcher around just in case at the expense of you know your all hands outfield alignment or the ability to keep this you know as many pitchers as the law allows around so that you can kind of work around whatever shortcomings some of those guys have? It, it, it's a really interesting question. I think that that. Maybe with Danny Jansen, especially given the whole health, like my belief that health is a skill, and it's one that Danny Jansen hasn't really shown um, in his career. He, he is the guy who's been banged up a lot. It's not his fault. It's not because of a lack of effort. It's not because he's soft. It's just because he's gotten hurt. But I would more than be be more than willing to try to take the opportunities to get him off his feet. Um, if you get into, if you can get past the first series and the series starts to get a bit longer, and there's not a lot of days off. George Springer is still George Springer, and and you would love to have him out there every day in center field, but if there's maybe a day that you want to let him DH, if you're playing a day game after a night game, the way that the the playoff schedules work, maybe I want to free that up. So I don't, I'm not, I'm not mad at the idea, but I think that it's just, there's a lot of risk in it. And and I think Danny Jansen's approach is a little bit, is a little bit hilarious. Uh, You know, I don't don't have the numbers in front of me. I don't think his on-base percentage is is particularly high. No, he does. He is slugging. He is slugging. He is selling out, you know, for that pull power, which is like, you know, whatever, do you, do do you, Danny Jansen, get those extra base hits however they come. But um, so, so I, I, I'm more than willing to entertain the idea if the situation is right. And, And I think that that's the sort of thing that, that when I talk about putting players in a position to succeed, I think that that's maybe what you would do. If you got a really good matchup for Danny Jansen, you know, somebody that you know is, is prone to guys who sell out for pull power and are, you know, look just hunting dead red on the inside half, you know, if, you're, if there's somebody who is going to be vulnerable to that approach, maybe then you do slide Danny Jansen in there, right-handed, left-handed, whatever it may be. But if it's just a matter of, like, maybe let's have Danny Jansen ready to, to jump in when you need to pinch run for Kirk or do whatever else you need to do, I'm probably going to be a little bit more conservative in how I use it than having them both out there at the same time. Makes sense to me. And in terms of Jansen, just to, to quickly follow up there, uh, OBP is up to 333 now. Walk rate oh. a little north of 9% and the strikeout rate down to 17%. So it does feel like it because, I mean, Danny Jansen is swinging for pull power in almost every situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has trended in the right way over the course of the season, at least since that kind of valley he had when he was first back off the IL. Uh, no valleys. 
with you, Drew Fairservice, of the Spin Rate Podcast. Thanks for taking the time out, buddy. My pleasure, my friend. Peaks only. Drew Fairservice, peaks only, uh, Scott Steiner style. By the way, a little note coming from our pal Ben Nicholson-Smith down in Philadelphia. As we expected, Jose Brios is going to start the opener against Tampa Bay tomorrow. Right now, Manoa and White are candidates for Friday and Saturday on paper, but that'll depend on the result of the next two games and the state of the bullpen. Uh, My assumption all along had been Barrios, Manoa, White, and then you roll into the next turn through the rotation, not needing a fifth starter. You skip that spot. You can keep going like that. Of course, how the division race looks, how the wild card looks, all of that stuff will determine the Jays, how the Jays balance extra rest for Manoa and Gosman, you know, Ross Stripling's now at a career high innings pitch, uh, a lot of factors to consider and the standings, which could have the Jays with a little X next to their name as early as Saturday, but probably the middle of next week, more realistically, that'll dictate a lot. Let's take a break. When we go back, let's talk to Ginny Searle of baseball prospectus of defector. Let's take a look at the Jays playoff chances, uh, whip around that AL wildcard situation. And perhaps most interestingly, when talking to someone from baseball prospectus, is Alejandro Kirk better defensively than Danny Jansen, despite the reputation Danny Jansen has as a better game caller? We'll talk to Ginny about that. We'll also take your text to 59590 next on Jays Talk Plus on Sports at 590, the fan. Welcome back to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. That's a song by local artist Lights called When the Summer Dies. Just because tomorrow's the first day of fall. You know, there was that one person in the text line the other last week when I said it was a nice fall day for some fall baseball. Who was like, no, no, not until September 22nd. Well, you got your wish, bud. Um, Jays at the Phillies tonight, 645. Ben Wagner on the call for you on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Let's zoom out a little bit from the Toronto view. Let's talk to Ginny Searle, Associate Editor of Baseball Prospectus, now at Defector as well. Ginny, how are you? Hi, uh, I'm good. Uh, I'm good. How are you? I'm Defector. We are just doing cross-posting with Defector. Uh, uh, I, so, yeah. Well, it was a great piece. The Dodgers have broken the scale that was co-published at Baseball Prospectus and Defector the other day. Um, Ginny, what are you seeing in the Dodgers? How do we even contextualize a team in the parody era being this good? Yeah, uh, you know, it, it seems as if they're not going to get to 117 wins. They they lost yesterday, so they're only uh, they're at, uh, 117 is the most that they can get to, which would be their record, but you know, they're going to end up with, you know, only uh, 113 wins or so, which <laughs> would still be like the third most all time. Yeah, it's, it's just hard to contextualize how good they are. They, Their lineup is so strong top to bottom. They've, you know, their lineup's just been complete, even with Max Muncy being, being, you know, not great until recently this year and Cody Bellinger struggling for a couple of years now. They've just, they've scored so many runs. They're, they're, uh, they might be, as I pointed out, the first team since, I think, 1972, the year of the pitcher, to allow fewer than 500 runs in a season or a full season. Oh. So this will be the Dodgers' 10th playoffs in a row. Uh, only one World Series during that stretch, three World Series visits. But in the modern era where, again, parity kind of rules and it's pretty difficult to keep 
successful teams together for a long time, as we've seen with the Nationals, the kind of ups and downs in the American League East. Is that 10 playoffs in a row with three, maybe now four World Series visits? Is that a better mark of the quality of an era for a franchise than anything else at this point? I think I would say it is just because, you know, especially as the playoffs continue to get more and more teams in, it just becomes even harder to see it as something that it's just something of a crapshoot in my opinion, because I, I don't remember uh, where this was, but there's a a piece a while ago about how in the NBA, it would only take in a seven game series, you can have the best team winning a lot of the time, but in MLB, it would just take a lot longer. I think it was like 30 games or even more than that to see how, just who would be the better team statistically. And, you know, that's dependent on a lot of variables. But the point would be that you can't really know with one seven-game series who's definitively the better team, as you might in some other sports. So you just inherently end up with a lot of randomness in the playoffs. And I think that that's, you know, that can be great. And obviously the playoffs are really fun. But I think the regular season really does still, it does mean something. And the fact that the Dodgers are this dominant is, it's hard to, it's impressive. Yeah. Hmm. So the Dodgers come in based on baseball prospectuses, Pakoda standings. Um, by the way, I love box score banter and read it every morning. It's a great way to catch up on oh, the biggest things from the night before and get ready for the day ahead. Um, baseball prospectuses, Pakoda standings have the Dodgers World Series odds at 24.4%. Uh, if we look, let's lower the bar from World Series to just playoffs. Um, those same standings have the Blue Jays at 100%. And 56.2% to make at least the American League Division Series. So that would take into account the slight chance they could still win the division and their chances of winning a three-game wildcard series. Um, When you look at the current, the new playoff format, I know we don't have any precedent for a three-game series all in one spot, um, an expanded wildcard field. We, We have nothing to base this off of. However, given what we know about baseball, in a three-game series, is a team having a 56% chance of getting to the next round? Like, that's probably about as close to the best we can hope for, right? Yeah, and I think it probably does indicate that thinks the Blue Jays are one of the better teams who doesn't get doesn't get a buy-in round as the, uh, the Yankees and Astros will. So I think it means maybe they're a little bit favored in whatever series they end up with. Uh, and, yeah, but I think there's just – I think it's going to end up like – unless it's a really, really – you know, big mismatch of series. I think it's all honestly going to end up a lot of, you know, 53, 54% probabilities of one team winning. Um, we also know that, you know, home field is going to play a little bit of a factor here, at least um, three games mm-hmm. all in one spot is certainly uh, an interesting twist. If you're one of these teams, whether it's the American league or the national league, and you're, you know, faced with, juggling these wildcard seedings down the stretch here. How big a priority are you putting on home field advantage versus say, you know, an extra day of rest for a key starter or lining up your rotation? Do you see it being that big a factor in a short window or in baseball? Is it just, you know, fairly random to where you can't put too big a premium on it? Yeah, I think that it's, you know, it's obviously something you would prefer, but there are so many factors that you are able to control, especially if you have a long time ahead of your playoff series. You know, you say, okay, we're pretty much dead. Like you said, the Jays are hundred percent odds or less there. They have some capacity to rest guys in the, in the last few weeks. And I think that being able to have guys rested, come in with a starter that you want, put players, you know, put pitchers in the orders you want and have all your relievers available. 
I think that ends up being more important than just home field advantage. So I think that you're going to see, you know, in my opinion, that it matters, but I think the better team or the team that has, I guess, even just better performances in the series, it'll end up mattering so much more than the home field advantage. So we look at, we can look at the four American League wildcard round teams right now. So let's say Toronto, Seattle, Tampa Bay, um, Cleveland, and then the tiny percent chance someone else comes through there. Um, those teams combined sure. have about a 14% chance to win the World Series um, based on baseball prospectuses, Pocota standings. That's uh, lower than only the Dodgers and the Astros, but it's not as high as the National League um, wildcard teams. What do you make of those percentages in general? It just to me, it kind of says, yeah, there's a there's a high percentage chance that a team that wasn't at the top of the league gets through, which I think we know inherently with baseball. Um, but do you do you have a lean on statistically or otherwise which of these potential wildcard teams might be the biggest threat to go on a, a deeper run something about their makeup that that makes you think hey if they can get through then we've got to reevaluate this because they could take on the yankees or the astros and make a run yeah i, I do think that the that the mariners have they've just come on so strong in the second half and they have so many young guys who have really been breaking out uh, i think that you know, it's, it's crazy to think that they've not been in the playoffs in 20 years, and now they're going to be, you know, not only back in, but I think a legitimate threat. But I, I would I would say that I like them more than the 3.6% chance I see for them mm-hmm. here. Uh, I think I think the Blue Jays as well. I I think it's hard in one sense because you know they've got they've got a strong rotation with Gaussman and Manoa and, and Stripling, and I think Barrios is kind of it's kind of a wild card what happens with him, and I think that could be a big factor because having that, that rotation that can really go four guys, four guys strong, I think ends up making such a big difference. Uh, and, you know, that's what the Astros do. That's what the Dodgers do every year. They just can throw out pitcher after pitcher. And I think having that extra little bit of depth from someone like, you know, Barrios being able to come through and I think that could help the Blue Jays. But yeah, I think especially as they, uh, they've had such a good offense this year. So I think if the pitching can kind of, keep the depth going and stay into games for a little bit, that would really make a difference. In the AL, I'd say those are the two. In terms of that Blue Jays offense, um, in box score banter back on September 7th, so way back two weeks ago, which feels like an eternity ago, you had yeah. written you had written about um, Bobachek got your gold star for that night, and you had mentioned him heating up, and at that point, oh, he has 35 doubles now, just outside of the top 10. Well, here two weeks later, he's got 41 now. He's fourth overall, and oh, he's wow. only one back of the American League lead. Um, Bobachek has continued this heater um, what have you seen from from Bobachet in this stretch, and what are you liking about the way he's playing at the plate? Yeah, i I think that he's uh, I think that he's a hard hitter to. He just had he has such an I think a particular approach compared to compared to some guys. I think that he's he's one of the people that's important to have everything kind of work on all cylinders. He doesn't, he doesn't really walk very much. So it's really important that he's not only making, making contact and he, you know, he doesn't strike out a huge amount, but he does strike out kind of an average amount and doesn't walk very much. So I think having the right kind of contact is just really crucial for him. And I think that he's, you know, it sounds, I guess it sounds self-explanatory to say that he's hmm. been putting the ball in the right places more, but you know, I think that this looks, he's, uh, he's just by months and over the season, he's just, 
gotten very much better. I think in the second half, he's, yeah, first half, 720 OPS, second half, 947. And I think part of that is he's struck out less as a percentage. He's walked a little bit more, but really he's, you know, he's hitting the ball, uh, batting average based on play. He has a 375 this year, or I'm sorry, this in the second half compared to a 313 in the first. And I think, you know, for someone who hits the ball hard, it's hitting it into a place where he can actually make the most of it because, you know, he hits home runs, but, you know, the doubles are really where he makes his money, it seems like, this year. So I think that his ability to just kind of, you know, hit the ball and not not let his, not let his ability to, you know, he's a guy who can hit the ball pretty much whenever, but you still have to look for your pitches. 375 batting average on balls in play. What is he hitting against Kevin Gosman every time? Ayo. Um, <laughs> Kevin Gosman uh, up tonight against Zach Wheeler. Uh, this is another thing you teed up in box score banter this morning. Um, what do you make of the Phillies' decision to have Zach Wheeler return? He's been out um, since the middle of August, and he's not throwing a rehab start before he returns. So what they're doing is they're going with Wheeler and he'll be limited. And then Noah Syndergaard is going to um, follow him or piggyback him. If you will. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you make of that decision on both the Wheeler front? No rehab start and Syndergaard, a, a trade deadline acquisition, maybe making a semi-permanent move to the bullpen. Yeah. I, so I think that it's, it's definitely a strange decision because especially with pitchers, you imagine that you see at least one rehab start because, you know, I, I don't watch that many rehab starts, but I can't imagine he's going to come back with a hundred percent of his, of his velocity, his movement, any of that stuff. So, I mean, if the, if the Blue Jays come out and tee off him tonight, as they did last night, it could be, uh, could be an even quicker start than they're expecting. But realistically, I think it's just, they, they want him to be as at, as full strength as he can be coming into the playoffs that, you know, I don't know exactly what his pitch kind is tonight, but I imagine he's going to chop out somewhere like 60 to 70 pitches. Can, you know, if they want to get him up to 100 for the, the playoffs. And I think that there's a, re- you know, they probably think, and I wouldn't know about this, but it seems like they think that having that start in the major leagues is going to help them build that capacity better than taking it in the minors or taking it, you know, in a simulated game, something like that. And I think it might be dependent on the kind of player Wheeler is. I know he's a pretty intense competitor, and I think a lot of pitchers have different ways they approach things. So maybe he just feels he'll get something more out of the game. Definitely a strange decision, and I'm interested to see if it goes poorly. But I, I don't think it'll have any injury risk, though. Yeah, that's the, and I guess that's the the most important thing is is that there's no right. injury risk there for them. Um, you know, I, I I don't think it hurts either to get a look at how Syndergaard looks as a potential reliever since he's probably hasn't pitched well enough uh, to make your yeah. playoff rotation. Um, on the other side of that matchup, Kevin Gosman's going to go tonight. He's going to throw to Alejandro Kirk. Um, he actually has a better ERA on the year with Kirk catching than Danny Jansen, although we're, we're chopping samples up pretty small there. I did want to ask you about mm-hmm. Kirk and Jansen, though, because baseball prospectus um, has Alejandro Kirk in the top five for value when it comes to pitch framing and top five for value when it comes to blocking. And I think he's seventh at controlling the run game, uh, the value derived from that. So baseball prospectus, not dissimilar from some other sites, but pretty high on Alejandro Kirk defensively. Um, If you're looking at 
I, I guess just how much stock do you put into those metrics for a catcher versus something like a catcher's ERA or pitchers happen to say pretty frequently they like throwing to a guy and a guy calls a good game because the Jays are in a bit of a weird spot here where Danny Jansen has the better reputation. We hear all the time about how good a game he calls, but most of the ways we can measure it say, no, Alejandro Kirk's a little better defensively. Yeah, I I think that pitcher comfort is obviously is pretty paramount. As you, and you know, I think that if a pitcher is more comfortable with a guy, that should be more important than whatever the analytics say. Unless there's you know, if there's something really jarring, the team can probably have a conversation. But I think that the fact that Jansen uh, that has the better reputation should you know probably does count for something. It probably means something to uh, the, to a lot of the pitchers. But I think. You know, there are a lot of the advanced statistics that you can quibble with, but I think framing is one where it's, you know, that we have a good idea of what the strike zone looks like. And if, if we take that and look at, you know, the framing metrics are pretty straightforward. So I think that they're, they definitely say something really good about Kurt. But if a pitcher is not as comfortable, then it doesn't necessarily matter how good of a framer he is. And I think that is why something like Catriari does still matter. And, I think that's a hard one because, you know, it takes a large sample for something like that to stabilize. But I think that it's worth paying attention to both. But I think it's not surprising that we're starting to see Kirk more and more. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, as we head into the playoffs where every little edge matters, uh, having two catchers that you can comfortably throw out there, not a bad thing uh, at all. Ginny Searle uh, of Baseball Prospectus, the daily box score banter, the the co production at Defector. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time out. Keep up all the great work. Thank you so much. Ginny Sorrell, associate editor at Baseball Prospectus. Um, again, their box score banter if you're a Baseball Prospectus subscriber. Great way to start your morning, get kind of the biggest headline item from the night before and a few other things. Um, baseball Prospectus rules. Not to turn our back on our friends at Fangraphs, but... Some of us has, have a subscription uh, to both. Ginny does great work. So does the whole team at Baseball Prospectus. Drew Fairservice even mentioned uh, Craig Goldstein of Baseball Prospectus earlier, who is a friend and who has put us on to uh, a number of the Baseball Prospectus guests we've had on Stock Plus over the course of the season. That season continues tonight with a game at 645. Jays at Phillies. Kevin Gosman against... Zach Wheeler returning from the IL. He'll be followed by Noah Syndergaard. We're going to tee that one up as we always do in the final segment. Uh, We'll go in on some of what Zach Wheeler has done well this year and where there may be some opportunities for the Blue Jays. Who's hit him well in the past? Who hits pitchers like him well? Uh, We'll take a look at Gosman also. We don't have a Phillies lineup just yet, but we do have a Jays lineup. Um, We also, just to refresh you on a couple notes from earlier, Foster Griffin is up. Julian Merriweather is down. Uh, Foster Griffin, a lefty the Jays picked up in a minor trade with the Royals earlier in the year, was a disaster with the Royals at the major league level, but has terrific numbers at AAA for both Kansas City and Toronto's AAA affiliates. I still would have liked to see Matt Gage get another shot, but as Arden laid out for us earlier, there's there's something there that they either don't trust engage or, or want to get a look at other guys. Um Tasker Hernandez said last night that he's been playing through a bunch of injuries this year, which is uh, not great. He'll DH tonight. Get a little breather there. 
um, for him as he continues to kind of manage that heading into the playoffs. Mitch White is with the team in Philadelphia, likely to start Saturday's game. But if the Jays need to change things up over today and tomorrow, that could change. Um, Alejandro Kirk is catching today, by the way. That's his first time catching in about a week as he worked his way back or sat and then worked his way back through uh, left hip tightness. Lourdes Gurriel Jr., the other Blue Jay missing in action. He's in Dunedin continuing to ramp up right now. He'll meet the team in Tampa, but it doesn't sound like he is particularly close. Um, I mentioned it off the top, but in case you missed it, because I kind of rushed it as Arden was coming on with us. Dunedin Blue Jays, who we talked at length with Doug Fox of future Blue Jays about yesterday, they lost in the championship last night, two games to nothing. So the Jays, A and high A affiliates, both losing the championship. Double A season's done. The Bisons at AAA have about a week left. Uh, Addison Barger made his AAA debut last night, went one for four. Yosfer Zulueta also got into a game, one inning with a strikeout, but also a hit and a walk allowed. Um, the other name down there, Yoshi Sutsugo, who the Jays signed to a minor league deal earlier in the year, has just been mashing down there. The Jays don't really have a need for a kind of corner outfielder slash first base slash DH guy right now or at all, but cool to see Sutsugo crushing it down there. Jays Phillies at 645. Ben Wagner on the call for you. We're going to take a break. We got one more segment left with you on Jays Talk Plus. We're going to take a look at where the Jays rank in a couple offensive categories, tee up tonight's game, and take your texts at 590-590. All that's next on Jays Talk Plus on Sports at 590, the fan. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Jays, Phillies, tonight. We're going to tee that one up momentarily. Let's take some of your texts first at 590, 590. I haven't been doing much of that lately. We've had a good run of guests. Producer JR killing it. But I got to take... I got to let you guys get involved too. You got to sign them though, guys. So I know who I'm talking to. And I could shout you out. Someone said Merriweather's a nice guy and all, but you need to have stability in the bullpen. Can't have two games and then not have a good game uh, to use different language there. Nothing personal, just business. So yeah, I mean, that's why Merriweather is, uh, is down at this point. And Foster Griffin, not Forrest Griffin, Foster Griffin is up. Uh, a little about Griffin, by the way, 27 years old. Lefty, former first-round pick of the Royals, and then just kind of bounced around that system forever. Not really much of a prospect at this point anymore. Um, He's had cups of coffee in the majors in 2020 and 2022. Six innings total, six earned runs allowed. So nothing special there. Uh, This year at AAA, though, ERA of two over 49 and a third innings, Um, Most of those outings, by the way, more than three outs. So a little bit of length there too. Uh, Strikeout rate up around 27 and a half walk rate around 7% and a high ground ball rate. So at least at the AAA level, he's doing what you'd want a guy without 
elite bat missing stuff to do, which is limit the walks, get a lot of ground balls. We'll see if that does anything at the major league level. If he gets into a game at all, he's not going to blow you away. Velocity wise throws about 93, 94 sliders his main pitch though. He's going to, he's going to hammer that slider. He'll also throw a change up and a curveball. So a um, bit more of a starters profile, really in terms of pitch mix and things like that. Um, he was starting as recently as last year in the minors, but I think uh, that one is behind him. I don't know that anyone's going to give him a shot to do that anytime soon, given that he was just an okay starter at the high minors as a average to overaged uh, guy. More text in the text line. Tyler from London asks, doesn't Whit Merrifield give you what Zimmer does on the base paths? Uh, but isn't an absolute zero at the plate uh, need to prioritize veterans over players that give you almost nothing. Uh, well, to that, I would say Whitmerfield is yes, a veteran, but he came to that Royals team after that run where they went to the world series. So if you're looking at, you know, a guy who has postseason experience and that's something you value, that's not this, um, Merrifield is a vet. Absolutely. He's been around since 2016, but there's not that same level of has gone through the playoffs that you'd usually associate with a vet type. Um, I also don't know that Whit Merrifield does give you as much on the basis. He obviously stole 40 bases last year, uh, which is great. He's been about 75% successful this year, which uh, isn't bad either. Um, one for two with the Jays, but Zimmer, the Jays don't steal a ton of bases. What Zimmer does really well or has historically, we haven't seen it a ton this year is that going first to third on a single, that going second to home on a single kind of stuff. That's where Zimmer provides value. The bigger thing is I would say Whit Merrifield can play a couple positions, but he's not great at any of you would rather have Espinal at second base. If you're making a defensive sub, you'd rather have Jackie Bradley jr. Or Bradley Zimmer uh, in one of the outfield spots. So I still think probably Whit Merrifield's going to get more chances down the stretch here. And maybe he finds his bat a little bit and is playing more. I just thought it was an interesting conversation with Arden earlier about what if the guy you traded for and the guy who you owe money to next year doesn't fit. On that roster, he's playing tonight, by the way. We'll get to the lineups in a minute, but Whit Merrifield in the lineup tonight. Max and Edmonton wants Zimmer nowhere near the playoff roster. Bradley is just as good in center, and Merrifield is a better base runner. Again, I, I don't know that better base runner, certainly more of a stolen base threat, but I don't know that that's specifically what the Jays are going to prioritize in that spot. Um, Zimmer is someone they like for that last guy role. This is why he's been on the roster almost all year. And they brought him back after I uh, don't know what to tell you other than they see some real value in defensive replacement slash pinch runner um, at the end of a playoff bench. Chuck from Oshawa says his setup in a game in a three game series is game one stripling Barrios and the bullpen game two Manoa. Uh, if you win both, you start the next series with Gosman. If you go one-on-one, -on -one, you have Gosman in the deciding game. Uh, bold, but in his opinion, smarter. Um, I think, Chuck, I'd rather just go with my best two guys. Um, if you win 2 nothing, which is the scenario you didn't, or you did consider there, but um, if you win 2 nothing with your top guys, you also get an extra day off. 
So you can still kind of manage around that. For example, um, the, the playoff rotation or the rest of season rotation that I had laid out earlier and, and on yesterday's show would have Gosman Manoa in games one and two for the wild card. And also available for games two and three of the ALDS based on where the rest is. Uh, No, you wouldn't get one of those guys for two games in the ALDS, but in a three game series, I'm throwing everything I have each individual game. And what you're suggesting is kind of what Arden hinted at where two years ago in the, the pandemic shortened season with the expanded playoff field, the Jays did what you're suggesting. They had their second best starter and they waited. They held him back for a game three and then they were eliminated without having used that weapon. I don't want to leave anything on the table. If I have my choice, Gosman and Manoa in some order are starting games one and two, and you just hope that Barrios and Stripling can fill the spots that you'd like them to fill. Uh, Rick and Markham doesn't understand the wishy-washy talk about Tapia. Um that guy needs to be on a playoff roster ahead of Moreno, ahead of Jackie Bradley Jr. and Zimmer. Um, okay, but Rick and Markham, the one thing you're you're missing there is like it's not it's not necessarily who is better over 162 games. Um, it's who's better in the role they're going to play in a postseason. Moreno versus Tapia isn't a conversation because Moreno's spot on the roster is entirely about what they want to do with Jansen and Kirk at the catcher position. So they're not really related. It's Tapia versus Zimmer versus Jackie Bradley Jr. And to a lesser extent with Merrifield. Tapia over 162 games has a lot more paths to help you than those guys. If you assume Lourdes Gurriel is an everyday player in the postseason, which given his health status isn't a thousand percent, um, then yeah, maybe you talk yourself out of Tapia. The issue is, is that if you're talking about bench players, well, Tapia isn't a better base runner than say Zimmer or Merrifield. And he isn't a better outfielder than Zimmer or Jackie Bradley Jr. And he isn't a better hitter than say Kevin Biggio. So you start going through those scenarios and it's where does he play? However, if you have an outfielder who isn't 100%, if you plan to rotate those spots around a little bit, if you have a right-hander who he uh, on the opposing team who he profiles well against, yes, Tapia would be a better choice than those guys if someone has to play an entire game. Um, I think what Arden was getting at there, though, is if it's a pure bench role and you're starting your best nine every single time out, it's harder to find a spot for him. Mike who doesn't say where he's from, just Mike, says Jay's been very healthy and the few injuries they've had worked in their favor. Um, They were the only team that was lucky enough to face top talent in some cases because of the vaccine issue. Uh, We're talking about a handful of games and a couple guys on each roster. I don't think that's any sort of big advantage. You also have to keep in mind that it kept the Blue Jays out of the market for a lot of guys. They couldn't sign or trade for certain guys uh, as well. Anyway, um, they aren't making the playoffs because of great player talent. Mike, come on, man. They're like the best offense in baseball by, at least in the American League, by like every possible measure that we have available to us. I'm, I'm going to go through them for you. Number one in batting average in this in the major leagues, not just the AL. Number one in batting average. Number three in on-base percentage. Number three in slugging percentage. First in exit velocity. First in how often you get hard-hit balls. Third in OPS plus, second in WRC plus, fifth in runs per game, sixth in limiting strikeouts, seventh in contact rate. 
I think that they are in a playoff position because they're a pretty good team, man. Um, they are maybe not as great a team as the expectations would have hoped coming into the year, but they're pretty good. Anonymous and T.O. says Stripling is your long bullpen guy through the playoffs. Brios is your third starter uh, to Anonymous and T.O. I would ask who is your fourth starter then? Because the way the ALDS and ALCS schedule out, you need a fourth starter. At least in a couple spots. It doesn't have to be a four man rotation. You can juggle things around, but you need a fourth guy somewhere in there. So maybe then instead of calling him the long bullpen guy, maybe he leads a bullpen day or something like that. Um, but yeah, that's this is the cost of, you know, well, there's a cost of for a lot of reasons of Ryu being hurt and Kikuchi being ineffective. But you, as great as Stripling's been on paper, you thought Stripling was your long guy, right? You thought he was the multi-inning guy, the the piggyback guy. Now he's an effective starter, which is awesome. But there's a hole in that spot in the bullpen. Maybe you hope Mitch White can fill it. I don't know that we've seen enough yet. This person, oh, Charles in Miramaki, New Brunswick. Oh, he just said something nice to me. I won't read that on the air. Sorry, I thought that was an actual question, but thank you, Charles. I appreciate it. Um, SJ from North York. This has got to be a question for the morning show because it's about food. We don't do food stuff on this show. Uh, how far do you think Vlad can hit a ball with a supersized frozen carrot? I don't know, man. Um, silly season. Uh, Mike and Victoria, if the pitch clock doesn't start until the catcher throws the ball back to the pitcher, what would stop a catcher from holding onto the ball if you had a high-maintenance pitcher like Delise? I actually made this joke recently, Mike, um, and it's not even really a joke. They're going to have to explore something like this. So watch Kevin Gosman on the mound tonight. He'll throw a pitch, and then he will receive that pitch back from Kirk off the mound in front of it and then take it and walk back to the mound. I could absolutely see pitchers adjusting to walking back to the mound first and then receiving the the throw from the catcher. Uh, if it's anything like slow pitch leagues around the country, you're going to have a epidemic of throws missing the pitcher and landing at his feet. Uh, we'll see. Jake in Orangeville says, why not let the situation dictate who gets the second start? Manoa pitches and the first, if you win, you go Barrios um, and, and so forth. Jake, my, my issue with that would be ideally you're the starters know ahead of time because these guys have pretty meticulous between starts routines. They want their bullpen day in a specific spot between starts. They want to do a pre-start day routine and stick to that. Um, that's not true of every guy. Some guys are flexible in that, but a lot of starters like to stick to a pretty set routine between starts and would like to know ahead of time when they're starting. So yeah, it's the playoffs. You got to adjust and, and things like that. But I don't know that you would want Gosman being half ready for a game two, but then also having to be ready for a game three and vice versa. It's a little much. I also just think there's a lot of value in sweeping a two game series, too, because you get an extra off day um, and you don't you only get one day off between the end of the regular season and the start of the wildcard series. Um, Nick in Calgary, by way of Elliott Lake, uh, wants to examine some managerial mistakes from Schneider um, stripling facing Harper for a third time as the tying run uh, letting Merriweather give up five runs. Now I would say letting Merriweather give up five runs, whatever um, you were ahead in that game at that point as a manager, 
you are hoping Merriweather finds his way out of it and saves your bullpen an extra arm. Um, I don't have a, a ton of issue with that one. I think it was pretty clear early on Merriweather didn't have it, and maybe you could have had someone ready a little quicker. Um, but in general, I don't mind. Uh, you've got a lead. Let's try to let this guy eat it, especially if you already have an idea that you're, um, if that you're going to option him down after the game um stripling going a third time through i'm actually this is kind of counter to the numbers and stuff like that i'm actually okay with that because stripling's been so good the first time through two times through the order and we did we don't at least have a lot of data on what he looks like a third time through obviously league-wide in the macro sense yes we know the pitcher struggle a third time through he had only faced guys 50 plate appearances a third time through heading into last night. And the numbers were actually like fine ish. They weren't that bad. So I don't mind as much um, trying that there. And Nick also mentions not pinch running for recently injured Kirk in the eighth. Uh, they did. Gabriel Moreno came in to pinch run for him. Um, Tyler in London asks a question that I don't understand. Um, oh, Bo Bichette, or I'm assuming that's supposed to be O'Neill Cruz. Um, I would pick Bo Bichette because O'Neill Cruz still hasn't had a, a stretch of good hitting. He's improving. The chase rate's coming down. The contact's going up. Uh, but you look at his numbers. He's still as fun as he is, as awesome as the arm and the exit velocity are and stuff like that. Um, you know, this is a guy with a 273 OBP right now and who has a, a 223 uh, career batting average so far. So not, not certainly not jumping over uh, other names yet. Um, Ian in Midland says he likes Gosman stripling Manoa as a, as the way to set it up. But after what I said yesterday, he kind of likes Gosman Manoa and then stripling because that's a natural spot to have Kirk catch game two and break up the catching duties. Um, I, I did say that yesterday, Ian, so good point. Um, you're referencing the right source material. I do wonder, though, and we talked about this earlier, I don't know if Danny Jansen has played his way into he's DHing anyway. So there you go. Uh, Kevin and Carrot River says, for everyone getting fired up about end of the bench playoff roster spots, remember when all you wanted was meaningful games in September. You're right. But meaningful games in September means uh, these are really important decisions because they have big impacts. Um, yes, I missed debating about who the 25th or 26th man should be. The Dalton Pompey debates uh, fresh in my mind. Uh, but you're right, Kevin. It's a very, very fun time of year, and it's cool to begin to have these conversations. Um, Roger in 905 says uh, the inconsistency of the, of the season stand out to him. If they can put it together for 30 days in October, there's no team they can't beat. I think they've shown that they've been probably second to the Astros, the best team in the American league for a good stretch here. And they've been the best offense in the American league now for the, the whole season, basically. Yeah. They've been a little up and down, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see if you can, uh, if you can get there and straighten it out in October. They do seem to be playing pretty good baseball at the right time. Um, someone said they're late to the show. Any info on Griffin? Do you think it's a better choice than Gage? I would have liked to see Matt Gage get another shot. 
like Arden and I talked about off the top of the show, and you can check that out on the uh, the podcast feed if you you missed it and want to go back to it. But Matt Gage has been excellent at AAA. He's a guy the Jays went after fairly aggressively as far as minor league free agents go in the offseason. Um, he has pitched very well at AAA. He pitched pretty well in some big spots for the Jays earlier. I would have liked to see him get another shot. Foster Griffin has really good AAA numbers and you know, does the things you want from that spot. He doesn't walk a lot of guys and he gets a lot of ground balls, but I thought Matt Gage deserved uh, another shot. Um, Someone who didn't sign there said the Jays are maturing good teams, stepping up and playing their best ball in September. Jays are doing that. Um, Yeah. You, you like that. Oh, and someone corrected me that they pinch ran for uh, Kirk in the ninth, not the eighth. My bad. My bad. They all I remembered was that they pinch ran for Kirk. Um, oh yeah, this is so. By the way, not to make an excuse for myself, um, Nick in Calgary by way of Elliot Lake. I apologize for that. But that was a really long game, and they had a lot of guys on base and a lot of innings in that one. Uh, my bad. My bad on that one. A couple more texts before we get the lineups. Um, so. Uh, KM in Norfolk asks a follow-up on Foster Griffin. What type of pitcher is he? What does he throw? Um, he has more of a starter's repertoire. He's going to go fastball, slider, curveball, uh, mix a changeup in. He actually throws a slider more than any other pitch, or at least he has when he's gotten major league opportunities. Um, we don't have as granular data for AAA stuff, but he throws four different pitches, which is always a little interesting as a, a left-handed reliever. Not elite stuff, um, but... Um, you know, I guess worth a look uh, again. I think Matt Gage had earned a shot. Uh, Mike in Etobicoke asked for a Nate Pearson update. We don't have one. Uh, he got pulled from that game on the weekend, and maybe that was because he was struggling and, and had thrown 17 pitches and, and wasn't pitching the best. Maybe something flared up, but um, the issue with this time of year is we don't get it, it's. I've been in the in the situation, not in baseball, but in the locker room this late in the year, and like. Do I ask about a G League guy when the Raptors are a week out from the playoffs? Probably not. Um, yes, Bob and Breton. I don't read the compliments on the air, but thank you. Uh, Yuma in Havelock is worried about the defense in the outfield. This is where the Jackie Bradley Jr. Bradley Zimmer thing comes in is if you're worried about the outfield defense with Guriel and Tapia and Teoscar Hernandez, having those guys around uh, can be helpful. If the wild card series goes to game three, Brio starts stripling follows um, striplings used to coming out of the bullpen. Rex from Amami. I agree. I, I think that's a logical thing that he has experience coming out of the bullpen and you'd be more comfortable with stripling following Brios than the other way around. Um, yes. Corey says he feels like he's going crazy. Not with people not wanting to start your best pitchers in games one and two. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm with you that that's what I would want when it comes down to it. And you can we can talk of it like there's there are a lot of strategic questions of how things line up for the ALDS and beyond. Uh, I want my best two guys starting the first two games and I would be doing what I can down the stretch to do that unless the division is still legitimately up for grabs. Then you maybe prioritize that. Let's go to the lineups. Um, there are a couple more texts in the text line. I, I apologize for not getting to all of them, but we got to do the lineups before we go here. So um, Zach Wheeler starts for the Phillies. 
First game back off the IL. He's been on the IL since August 20th. Did not make a rehab start. We're expecting him around 50 pitches or so based on the intel out of Philly. He has a 307 ERA on the year. He's still very good. Doesn't walk anyone. Low home run rate. Strikes out about 27% of the batters he faces. All that's there with him really is health question marks. He's above average in more or less everything. He's only average at swing and miss, but he gets 94th percentile at limiting exit velocity, 85th percentile getting guys to swing outside the zone, 79th percentile in expected ERA, which is the stack casting that takes in swing and miss and walks and quality of contact. Uh, He's really good. He's going to throw a 96-mile-an-hour fastball with good spin. He'll work it to a couple different spots around the zone. Uh, It gets a great swing and miss rate by the standards of a four-seam fastball. And then he's going to throw a 91-mile-an-hour slider to either side hitter. He'll throw it into lefties and away to righties. Um, Opponents hitting just 200 against that. Not an elite strikeout rate for a slider, but really low contact and slugging rates. Um, He'll also throw a sinker, mostly to righties. It plays well off his fastball. Um, That gets hit a little bit more for average, but very, very few extra base hits against that sinker. And then he'll mix in a curveball, which is a ground ball machine. It gets hit pretty well, um, but he's had some misfortune on it in terms of uh, batted ball stuff. And then, again, um, not a lot of power against that curveball. The Jays faced him back in July, got to him for six earned over four and two-thirds. It's one of only three what you'd call bad starts Wheeler's had this year. Here's how the Jays will line up against him. George Springer in center, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette, Alejandro Kirk catching and hitting fourth. Matt Chapman, Teoscar Hernandez at DH, Rymel Tapia in left, Santiago Espinal in second, Whit Merrifield in right. So Merrifield draws back in, gets a, an opportunity there. That's the group that'll be behind Kevin Gosman. By the way, Noah Syndergaard expected to be the follower after Zach Wheeler today. So you'll get a look at Syndergaard. Um, the Jays have almost, the active Jays have almost never faced Noah Syndergaard, actually. Um, almost all of the Blue Jays sample against Syndergaard is Whit Merrifield and Ryan Maltapia, um, plus Teoscar Hernandez going one for two against them way back in the day. Gosman on the hill, you know the deal. 99th percentile chase rate, 98th percentile walk rate, a lot of swing and miss, but sometimes he gets hit hard and he's had some combination of misfortune and hard hit balls um, when the ball is put in play. The fastball especially has been hit pretty good for batting average. The splitter remains one of the best pitches in baseball. 196 batting average against, 44% swing and miss rate, and then he'll mix in a slider. Gosman has a track record against the Phillies, but not a recent one. He went six shutout innings against them last year and got shelled by them in 2019 when he was having that very, very bad season. Uh, Kyle Schwarber, three for five against him with three home runs. Bryce Harper has also hammered him. And then JT Realmuto actually won for 11 against him in his career. Here's how the Phillies will line up. Kyle Schwarber, Reese Hoskins, Bryce Harper, JT Realmuto, Alec Baum, Bryson Stott, Gene Segura, Nick Maton, and Matt Veerling. So fairly similar to yesterday. Again, it's Zach Wheeler being followed by Noah Syndergaard. With the Gosman stuff, there's some interesting stuff going on in shifts. It's been a big discussion point that Gosman didn't maybe love all the shifting the Jays were doing behind him. Prior to June 22nd, the Jays shifted 70% of the time when Gosman was on the hill. 
that's just 29% since. The batted ball stuff that Gosman has had some misfortune on has actually gone the other way since then. So despite the shift maybe not making him the most comfortable and feeling like it wasn't working, um, yes, the numbers have actually gone the other way. Um, the weird thing is, is that Gosman was getting babipped like crazy prior to that June 22nd start, but primarily when the Jays didn't shift, he was actually only giving up a 261 batting average when the Jays shifted. Uh, that's gone up to uh, 289 when the Jays shift now. So that's been even worse. But the big thing is the expected batting average when the Jays don't shift behind Gosman is 228. And it's actually come in at 266. So um, about 40 points there of difference between actual batting average and expected batting average when the Jays don't shift. They might need to reevaluate how often they do that. Then again, your pitcher's comfort level is uh, is a big part of that as well. And yes, sorry, it's pronounced Omimi, the name of the city. Um, KM says, I'm heading to Buffalo this weekend to catch a Bisons game. Any interesting players I should keep an eye on or all the top guys in double A? No, KM. Uh, a couple of the double A guys are shut down for the year now. Ricky Tiedemann and Sam Robersa and Arelvis Martinez. Um, those guys are done, but at AAA, they promoted Addison Barger, who's probably the highest rising prospect in the system this year on the hitter side, and Yos Verzulueta, who you'll see out of the bullpen. Maybe you also get a Nate Pearson rehab start. Um, Brandon in Kawartha Lakes asks what you do with Guriel if he's not ready until the wildcard series. That's a real question. I think he's on the roster regardless if he's ready to go, but that's where maybe a split time thing with Tapia comes into play. Jays have the Phillies again tonight. Looking to keep the momentum going. Ben Ennis has you for drive time next. Ben Wagner is on the call for the game at 645. Another early start. You got those all week because Tampa's doing it too. 645 with Ben Wagner on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Blair and Barker will be with you for Jays Talk post game. And Jays Talk Plus will be back with you 3 to 5 tomorrow. Thank you to Ginny Searle, to Drew Fairservice, to Arden Swelling, to Brett and JR behind the glass and to you dear listener a lot of great texts we'll do that again later in the week I've been Blake Murphy for Jays Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan